Tina Hedges is the CEO and founder of Lolly Beauty, an organic and customizable skincare startup. Spending her career disrupting the luxury and consumer distribution markets at L'Oreal, Estee Lauder, and LVMH, Tina embarked on her entrepreneurial journey in 2005 by founding a celebrity hair care brand and developing the Bravo TV reality show Blowout. Later, Hedges shifted her attention to the hangover prevention space, making it onto Entrepreneur Magazine's top 100 most brilliant companies. Now Hedges is all about it on to Lolly Beauty, the next generation skincare company that provides personalized skincare that you can blend at your home or at or one of their pop-up blending bars. Welcome, Tina. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, Marla, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. So I just want to say one thing before we even start our conversation, which is I've had the opportunity to experience some of these products, and I am obsessed with them. So (laughs) I'm just going to put it out there. Um, So anyway, so what I like to do is start from the beginning, um, because I think it's really interesting for listeners to hear about where people come from and how they've started. So tell me, Tina, uh, what were you like as a young girl? Where'd you grow up? What were your interests? That kind of stuff. So actually, um, it's a wonderful place to begin. And um, definitely how I grew up and where I grew up is part of the journey of what got me to Lolly and where I am sitting today. So my parents are Cuban. And I was born and raised in the Blue Mountains of Jamaica, West Indies. Okay, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Completely. Uh, when you when you see me and you read my last name, no one can ever kind of figure out how that happened, but it did. And I lived mm-hmm. um, in the Caribbean till I was eight years old. So I actually grew up um, watching my mother and people around me take um, botanical flora, fauna, herbs, foods, and blend them into topical and ingestible remedies for everything from real maladies or symptoms of things to um, wellness and and beauty rituals. So that really shaped me. And then flash forward, we moved to New York City when I was about eight. Um, I had a whole career as a professional ballet dancer from the age of eight to 16. I performed at Lincoln Center and went to Juilliard. So I, I've, I've been working since I was eight years old, um, which was quite some time ago. Um, and then flash forward, I ended up in the beauty industry. And that was really just a, a serendipitous um, meeting um, at, at the time. And um, I didn't realize that I was you know, forging the rest of my career. So... So very interesting. So much creativity at an early age. I don't. I think I missed that part about you um, uh, being a professional dancer. So that is just extremely cool. So when you think about it, you grew up your mother creating all these um, lovely products, and then you went on to dancing. And there's such a both involve so much creativity. So um, in terms of the work that you did with your mom when she was playing around and and creating products. Did you help her with that as a child? Yeah. So she wasn't so much like the alchemist uh, blending up tons of beauty products. Mm -hmm. She 
have a few things that she knew and had been passed down to her from her mother in Cuba. And then also learning um, from the native Jamaicans. And, you know, again, we lived in the Blue Mountains. So there was a lot of um, Arawak Indian influence and, and those herbal um, you know, magicians and healers. Mm-hmm. So for example, I, I remember, and I was just telling um, the Lolly team this story today, um, walking in the garden with my mother and getting bitten by a bee and my mother grabbing three leaves from three different trees and mushing them together and taking that poultice and applying it immediately onto my bee sting. And literally like a minute later, the the redness and the stinging was all gone. And it works if you have any kind of mosquito biter, bee sting or anything like that, you can literally take three leaves from three different trees. It doesn't matter what trees, but they have to be three different trees or bushes and, and, and make that remedy. Wow, so that's a good thing to know. <laughs> Never heard of that before, but that's pretty awesome. Um, super helpful. So interesting, I'm just wondering how you transitioned from living in the Caribbean, you moved to New York, where did this love of dance come about? How did you get involved with that? Um, I didn't even know I had a love for dance. I, I was so, I imagine being eight years old and, you know, your backyard was these incredible lush tropical um, gardens or pristine beaches. And then you land in New York City in the middle of winter. And I, I was just so unhappy. And my mother was you know, like we need you to do something after school. Mm-hmm. And she had happened to take me to see the Nutcracker Suite at Lincoln Center. And I remember looking at the ballet dancers on stage and I said, I would, I'd like to do that. And my mother asked around innocently, where can my daughter take ballet lessons? And someone said, why doesn't she go to Juilliard? My mother had no idea what Juilliard was. And so the next thing I know, I was in an audition <laughs> wow. and, and, and they chose me. And um, that was the school at the time, Balanchine. So this is really dating me, Marla, but um, Balanchine right. was running the New York City Ballet still. And when he needed children um, for the ballets at um, Lincoln Center, that's where he would pull from the School of American Ballet. So whoop, all of a sudden I was on stage. So it was a whole, it was, it really didn't come from like a dream. It came more from circumstances, but I loved it. So you do realize how remarkable this is because so many little girls grow up and they want to be ballet dancers. And the fact that you were able to um, work hard at Juilliard and, um, you know, work for one of the preeminent ballet masters, I guess you would call him, or choreographers in the world is, is just extraordinary. So I've, I think that's very cool. Quite yeah, I, I actually, I'll, I'll find them and, and dig it out, but I have pictures of me with Balanchine. Oh my I'm gosh, you have to, <laughs> they have to send it to us. That, that's so cool. So um, you did, you were involved in ballet from, how long were you in Juilliard for? Did you graduate? Because I know Juilliard goes through what, college, right? Um, well, I actually went, to, to my uh, school for my mm-hmm. academia, and then I would go to Juilliard for my ballet. Okay. Um, and I, I was 
in the school until I was about 15, 16. I never wanted to be a professional ballet dancer for my life. And I got to the point that I had to make some decisions, whether academia and pursue and go to to college or make ballet my life. And I, I knew that that wasn't my destiny. It mm-hmm. was an amazing, magical journey. I learned so much that shapes how I approach business and, and my professional life from that experience. But um, it, it wasn't even a question. I, I wasn't not going to college. So, so we're going to talk about that in a minute because I, I find it really interesting um, just in terms of the connection between the rigors of what you went through, um, being a dancer, and the rigors that we all go through as entrepreneurs. But so just want to continue on your story for a little bit longer. So you decided to go to college. You went to college. Then what? What, what, what was life like in college? So, so I have never had a straight path. And um, I love the words of Robert Frost, two roads diverge, and I took the path less travel by, mm-hmm. more or less. <laughs> um, so when I was at college, I decided that I wanted to, I originally thought I actually wanted to be a fashion designer. And I had a whole plan. And again, this is like mid 80s, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> long, long time ago. And, um, and I decided, well, if I'm going to be a fashion designer, I'm going to have factories in China, and therefore I should be fluent in Mandarin. So I took two years of Mandarin at college, and then I took a gap year between my junior and senior year, and I went to live in communist China in 1985. Oh, my gosh. Wow. (laughs) So that was probably to this day one of the most difficult things I've ever you know, um, approached or, or, or done in my life and, and seen all the way through. Um, it's not the China. I I was not in the China that people know I was in the real China and, you know, um, so yeah. And then I came back, I graduated, I worked in fashion for about 10 months. I hated every moment of it. I actually got fired from my first job, which I remember coming home and my mother saying to me, well, it's good that you got that over now because <laughs> everyone gets fired at least once in their life. And now, you know, you've already done it. Right. Um, and, and that's when I ended up meeting the um, president of Christian Dior perfumes and he offered me a job and he said, I don't care what level someone comes into my company our business is about selling. So I'm going to send you to Macy's Herald Square to sell our new men's cologne called Fahrenheit. They were mm-hmm. launching. And I won't tell you how long you're going to be there. You may be there two weeks. You may be there 12 months. But if you don't want to do that, you don't have a place in the company. And I remember thinking about it and I was like, you know, I'm going to be a sales girl now. Like, what, what should I do? And, and then I was like, what's the worst thing that can happen? I do this for two months and he lied to me. So I actually rolled up my sleeves and I went and I sold fragrance at Macy's house square. I learned a lot about the business. And then six months into that, he pulled me into the office and gave me a job in advertising and communications. And that started my career. And then the rest is history. I went into product innovation, brand management, global marketing. So I'm just curious. Did you have mentors along the way? How did you know 
which decision to make? How did, did it, what was that process, that thought process in terms of, you know, I'm going to take that path. I'm going to actually try this um, opportunity. That is such a wonderful question, Marla. And I wish I could give you an answer that was different. Um, until recently, I would say until the last really five to eight years of my career, I had no mentors because in those days, it was very difficult. Men were not mentors to women mm -hmm. in business and believe it or not, right? And women, the few women that were in positions of power, because in those days and still even now, most of the beauty companies are run by men. Right. Um, the few women that were in positions of power were extremely territorial and absolutely not about helping the younger um, generation rise in the ranks. So um, I really did, and we were not encouraged in those days in the corporate world to seek out mentors. Um, so it was, you know, really once I came into the startup world about 10 years ago that I realized, oh my gosh, I need to have my fairy godmothers and godfathers and gladiators and, you know, right. who are my troops. And it took me many years to, to really solidify that. I feel very blessed now. I have amazing people um, who, you know, look out for me and ready at a, you know, we, we laugh about who are you going to call if you're in a jail at two o'clock in the morning? Like, right. <laughs> you know, who is that person? So, um, but in those days, and I'm sure you experienced yep. very similar, ex you know, situation. Without a doubt. It's just very interesting um, how things have changed. Uh, finding a mentor now is more the norm. And you're right. When I, because I think we're comparable in terms of our experiences and time frames, mentors, there was very little understanding of what that was. So, um, it, you know, you had to rely on a couple of friends or your own gut. And it sounds like some of your earlier decisions were based on your very strong intuition about which way to go. So I think that's pretty interesting. So you got this, you got into corporate, you did advertising and marketing. What was that like? Um, I, I fell in love with the beauty industry. I realized it was everything in those days. Fashion was not. Now fashion is, is run very differently because you have private equity and VC money and right. strategic money. But in those days, it was, it was really, um, uh, you know, a very different crowd. And I really wanted uh, an environment. I'm inc incredibly creative, but I also like the analytical side of the business. I, mm -hmm. I like to look at numbers. I like to understand, you know, where are we going? Is this profitable? And um, so for me, the beauty industry was the perfect marriage. It was a product I felt good about. Um, I felt we were making women happy, but it was run, um, you know, very professionally. So I loved it. I was, um, I rose up through the ranks. I ended up getting into product innovation. Um, and probably the products in your beauty cabinet that I was involved in. <laughs> um, and then my last corporate role was at L'Oreal where they 
for the first time ever, hired a non-PhD to report into the global head of research and development. And the, yeah, that was quite a, quite a role. So question for you. So the product development work you did was mostly more, I hate to use the word like scientific, clinical, I would imagine. No. Well, no. no? Yeah, tell me about that. What was so, it like? Yeah, so product development um, or cre is creative marketing. Mm -hmm. It's everything from concept. Got it. Um, all the way down till like point of sale. I didn't handle anything to do with uh, retail merchandising or, um, you know, sell-in or anything like that. It was all the creative from mm -hmm. we're going to make – you know, we're going to launch two years from now an SPF um, moisturizer that's made with licorice extract because it helps whiten and brighten the skin. Right. And it's, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be priced at this. It's going to look like this. It's going to smell like this. It's going to be packaged like this. And then I would shepherd it all the way through the process till it was actually created. Right. Um, so, yeah, really fun, amazing. I mean, everyone wants to be in product development, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, it, so the way you're describing it is similar to my experience at American Express. Um, and I did some product development there. I developed the blue card. And it was great. The way I'm actually getting very excited by that description because it brings me back to how much fun it was to do something like that, to feel like you're really giving birth to something incredibly awesome. So um, I totally get where you're coming from. It's, well, that's, maybe we'll have to collaborate on something Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Again, as I say to everyone, I'm obsessed with your product. So, yeah, absolutely. So at what point did you say, okay, this is cool, love corporate, you know, had a great time, all good, and now it's time to try something else? So um, basically, I was at L'Oreal, and my boss retired, and the new CEO globally didn't really understand my innovation role and he's very bottom line driven. Mm -hmm. And so he wanted to put me on a brand and I was like, I didn't really come to L'Oreal to be on a brand. So I started thinking about it and I knew in my heart I was an entrepreneur and I was very fatigued of this situation of walking into a room with, and again, in those days, a lot of men in suits yep. and um, trying to convince them um, why it was important to make the invisible visible. And all they wanted to do was test innovation to death. And I say a consumer can only tell you what they know. They can't tell you what they don't know. Meaning true innovation never tests well. Mm -hmm. And um, I just said to myself, well, I could stay in this path and have all the perks of the, in those days, our T&E budgets were pretty amazing. So like, right. you know, business uh -huh. and class tickets around the world and five-star hotels and mm -hmm. all these great trips. But my creativity is slowly seeping out of my body and I'm being pounded down to just be like a robotic marketer mm -hmm. where I could jump ship and, and be an entrepreneur. And I decided to jump ship and be an entrepreneur. And I was completely naive um, great corporate citizen, had no idea what it meant to be an entrepreneur, very little concept of how to structure um, an investment deal and make sure I had the rights um, that I deserved. And But I fell into my first opportunity. It was summer of 2004, and I got a random phone call. I was like a couple months out of L'Oreal, 
trying to figure out what I wanted to start. And I got this random phone call from the manager of, and I'm putting this in quotation marks, celebrity hairstylist mm-hmm. who was on a show on Bravo TV called Blowout. It was really early days of reality TV. There was Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, America's Biggest Loser, The Apprentice, and then there was Blowout. And Blowout first season, which by the way, American Express um, paid for integrated advertisement into the reality show of Blowout for the first mm-hmm. season. It was a complete disaster. And, <laughs> and, and, okay, I can yeah. sort of see that. <laughs> yeah, it was really early days. No one knew right. what reality TV was. Sure. And so the manager said, hey, we're negotiating a second season. I have this hairstylist. I have a TV show. We want a hair care brand. But guess what? We have no money, no team, no idea how to do this. We have two months to put a deal together because we start filming in two months. What do you think? Can you make this happen? And I remember hanging up the phone and just thinking, I'm going to do it. And I started going through my Rolodex thinking, who do I know? Who do I know? How could I make this happen? And I remembered that I had met a German industrialist who owned a hair care facility in um, Baltimore, a turnkey third-party manufacturer. And I called him up and I said, I have a deal that you can't refuse. And he invested a million, 1.2 million in the deal. And I structured in less than two months. I helped... You know, I was a founder of the brand. I just didn't know I was a founder of the brand. <laughs> and, right. um, and I developed this brand, and I actually was on the reality TV show for two seasons. Oh, my gosh. That and is we so launched, cool. <laughs> and we launched um, with Sephora, Barneys, and QVC. In those mm-hmm. days, that was never been done before to launch in those three channels at the same time. And we essentially stole two seasons of airtime. We didn't pay for it. Um, we just made sure that there was no storyline other than Jonathan creating the hair brand. And mm-hmm. so by the time the show aired, you would see on the show the product line rolling into Sephora or Jonathan going on QVC, and you could literally go into Sephora and the brand was launching, or you could click on QVC and Jonathan was on air. So it was really, you know, very cohesively packaged. We. Right. It was a runaway success. We did thirty million in the first two years and delivered four million in EBITDA. Okay, so I definitely want a little bit of what you were having. So um, <laughs> I guess, and that does lead me to an important question, which is: there are many women who go the corporate route and then decide, you know what? I'm tapped out. I'm exhausted. I'm not being fulfilled. This is not right for me. I want to do my own thing. Now you did this successfully. Not everyone does. So. Can you think of, let us know what you think a few factors were of your success, why you were able to make the transition successfully, because most of us don't? Um, I would say, I would look at it that they, those women are probably succeeding very well in the corporate arena, of which I wasn't. I am not political. Um, I am a little bit of a maverick. I when I see opportunity, I just want to run. I don't want to, you know, I don't have analysis paralysis. Mm -hmm. I don't enjoy meeting after meeting to kind of think about what we should do in the meeting. Um, All of that is very frustrating to me, which is all very necessary and important, that rigor 
um, in a corporate environment. That's just not how I operate. So right. in, in retrospect, I did very well, but it was sort of despite myself in the corporate. <laughs> you know, I probably could have done way better if I had had other uh, characteristics or skill sets. I'm much better in, I love, I, I say to people who want to come and work with us, for example, or think they want to be entrepreneurs, I was like, how comfortable are you with chaos? Like if you're not comfortable with chaos, this is not something you want to do because no matter, even as you get bigger, it's still, there's chaos in, in what you do because there's just never enough resources, never enough time. And part of being a startup is you have to be opportunistic. Right. And also flexible, which is implied yeah. in terms of what you're saying, because you're right, not every day is the same. So you have to be comfortable with that kind of change and you have to be able to turn on a dime. So yeah, I agree with you. And do you think that those were the key factors of your success in terms of making the transition, your flexibility, um, being able to thrive in a chaotic world? You're obviously very creative. We know that. I'm just trying to understand if, if you think about your skill set as your secret sauce, can you talk about that a little bit in terms of making that transition to a successful entrepreneur? Yeah, I think, I think one of my um, real strengths is I'm able to connect the dots and cross-pollinate between many different mm -hmm. types or um, like in some ways I'm sort of like a walking AI uh, model because I can sit and, and learn something about tech and then I can go learn something about beverage and then I could go learn something about cooking and then somehow I like connect all those dots which really someone else would never figure out mm -hmm. and I see the opportunity and I also do that with people I'm really good at connect I used to do this a lot for free my mother would always <laughs> be like you're always helping other one you're people you're always making amazing connections how are you going to make money and I was like don't worry mommy things will come back to me I know exactly come back to me and actually I just had a beautiful story happened last Friday of someone that I helped ten, uh, 10 years ago or nine years ago that I didn't even remember helping who just came across my path and he sat down and told me his story of how I helped him and made a pledge like I it was so transformative for his life what I did so it does come back to you but sometimes you just have to like you know plant a lot of seeds right and get fixated that that one seed didn't grow because you just don't know how it's going to be blown and go to another pasture and mm -hmm. the bird is going to pick it up and then it's going to drop it somewhere else. And then all of a sudden there's this gorgeous, you know, tree that bloomed that comes back to you somehow. That's perfect advice. So you um, had a successful um, experience with the Bravo show and you launched the, the beauty line, hair care line. And that what, then what, what did you decide well, to do? So that was a great story, but there's an underside to that story. Like I, I, you know, not everything has been rosy and perfect in my, you know, journey. By mm -hmm. So on the surface, wildly successful, but you know, where I had missteps was, as I said earlier, I didn't know how to negotiate. I didn't realize the value I was bringing. And, um, and a lot of women don't correct know how to um, negotiate for their value and are very uncomfortable negotiating for their value. So I was probably a little bit of both 
I'm comfortable negotiating my value, insecure of my value because I'd never done startup before, so kind of worried about that. And number three, naive, because I just didn't know what I should be negotiating for, and I had no mentor <laughs> right. to help me. So I, if I told you what equity piece I had in that venture, you would be horrified. So the net-net is after I built this really successful company, I realized I had no control. Um, I had very little equity, and what they wanted me to do was basically be like an employee for them. Okay. And I was just like, no, this is not going to work. So I got bought out in 2007. And then they proceeded to run the company into the ground, which really broke my heart. Um, and I went on to um, trade uh, my services for equity in lots of early stage startups. And then mm -hmm. I would consult on the side, as I say, to pay my rent and color my hair. <laughs> of course, right. And, um, and, you know, really spent, you know, the last eight years in the startup world just making very robust connections with all sorts of different founders, investors, um, you know, uh, technology um, creators, just all sorts of things like that. I didn't imagine that I was going to start an, another beauty brand. It wasn't on my list of things to do. And as a matter of fact, when I got divinely inspired by like a sequence of events that happened in a two hour period, I literally had conversations with myself. Like I was like, no, I'm not going to do this. No, 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 no. And I tried to talk myself out of it. And I finally got to a place that I was like, what do I have to lose? Um, when I started Lolly, I was in a very bad financial situation. I, I, there had been some consulting things that I never got paid for. There was just like, it, it was like a really strange time, but I almost look back and think the universe was trying to strip everything from me mm -hmm. to put me in a place where, you know, the fear of losing things was insignificant because I didn't have that much to risk. Right. If that makes any sense. <laughs> So it sounds like those were the themes, those were the threads that you, were, that you pulled out in terms of what the universe was telling you, lessons learned. Um, I, I, it, to me, you were paying attention to the signals. I tried to. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, I tried to. And so um, I decided to self-finance Lolly, um, the first iteration, which was my minimum value proposition. It was really a test. Mm -hmm. And I launched out of my studio apartment on the Upper East Side. Um, I did everything. I sourced, blended, picked, packed, shipped. Occasionally, I would coerce my mother to come <laughs> pack as well and have to let her watch Netflix <laughs> while right. she was doing it. Um, but, but uh, you know, I wanted, before I went to raise money, I wanted to prove to myself that there was really a business opportunity and that I would feel comfortable asking people for money because I do think it's a responsibility mm -hmm. and um, there's an energy um, with it. And you really, in my, for me personally, I want to feel really good about that, that I have total conviction. Right. Um, so that's what I did. And then after some great uh, traction with our test um, where we got written up by press and did, um, collaborations with Urban Outfitters and Adidas and Alexander Wang and all sorts of fun things, I realized, wait a second, I'm really onto something, but the iteration I have right now is not what 
my vision for Lolly is, and now I really need to go raise money. And so in end of 2016, I marked everything sold out on the original site and I went to go raise money. And that's a whole other topic of conversation. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, but I was successful. That's a whole nother interview we're going to do because I know that's a really important topic for a lot of women listening who want to be entrepreneurs and need to raise the money. So that's a separate conversation, Tina. I would love to have that conversation. Great. I feel very passionate about that Super. conversation. After a few months, I opened um, my seed round in March of 2017. I raised a million dollars and um, I won two accelerators. I'm sitting in the best tech accelerator in New York City. They take a thousand applications and they choose 18 companies. I'm the first beauty company they've ever taken. Mm -hmm. I'm also twice the age of any of my cohort founders right? Um, and um, really proud to be here because when I was pitching, I was told, you know, basically like you don't, this is not tech and you're too old kind of thing. But, right. um, but, and we launched now nine weeks ago, our new version of Lolly and um, are raising our second round. And I should be closing that in the next two weeks. Super excited. Congratulations. That's amazing. Yeah, thank you. So just a quick question um, on finding the accelerators. Mm -hmm. how, how, did you, how did you do that? Just like a quick little information for our listeners, because I know that's part of raising money, but I know the accelerated process is very competitive. Yeah, it's a, you know, it goes back to networking. Mm -hmm. um, so you... You know, I have a friend when I was growing up, he would say, interesting people do interesting things. And um, that always stuck with me. So like whatever you're trying to do, find the group or the community that you think are doing interesting things within what you want to do. Right. And then network within that. And then you start to find, you don't, you know, you're not starting from scratch. You're, mm -hmm. you're finding out like, oh, wait there's a tech accelerator or there's an incubator for women um, minority businesses or that like they will start the group will co-create for you those opportunities because it's sort of like a, a shared consciousness. Right. 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 Um, so that's what I started to do. I just started to, to, to find like, okay, you know, beauty and tech and who's in that conversation and go to meetups and, then all of a sudden you find out about an event. And I went, so the first, um, it was the first year of Project Entrepreneur. Um, and I went to their first kickoff accelerator. And I remember standing there and going, next year, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pitch. And lo and behold, next year, I was on the stage as one of the finalists. And I pitched and I got chosen. And then... Someone sent me the, um, the application for Grand Central Tech, and I remember it was due at midnight on a certain day. I think it was in, around this time last mm -hmm. year, actually, in May. And I was so busy with the other accelerator and with, like, raising money and everything, I, I kind of forgot about it. And then all of a sudden that day, I was, like, leaving to Dubai. I was at the airport. I was going to speak at a conference and I was like, oh my gosh, the Grand Central Tech Accelerator application is due. I have like two hours before midnight. 
do I do it or just I, do I say forget it? And part, there was a part of me that was self-sabotaging that said, right. why am I even going to bother? This is a tech accelerator. They're never going to take me. And, and then I sort of said, well, I've already filled out Project Entrepreneur's application. I have a lot of the work done already. Why mm-hmm. don't I just see what's involved? And I literally completed the application in like 40 minutes I was at the airport and I emailed it to the um, Nelson who, who was running the, um, the application process at GCT. And I was like, please check your e- inbox. I just submitted the application. And I got, I got in the um, finalist group. Right. And the funny part of that is I almost messed up a second time because I thought it was a Zoom video or Google video um, interview and it turned out it was a live interview. Oops. But you know how Google, you know how when you do your calendar, sometimes yep. it generates the, and it mm-hmm. can be confusing sometimes. Like you're like, is this a video <laughs> chatter? And I was 45 minutes late for the interview. I, when I walked into the lobby, I was like, there's no, I've, I've blown this. There's no way they're going to even talk to me. Mm-hmm. But it just so happened that they were running. 45 minutes late. So it kind of did. Wow. Late. And I walked in the room and I was, you know, I, I really just didn't think I was going to get this. And Michael Milstein, who founded GCT stood up and he said, I just want you to know that we are so impressed with how you are innovating the beauty industry. And at that point I just was like, Oh my gosh, I could actually get this. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was the story. And so quick, quick question on uh, one more tiny question on accelerators. The best way for a listener to explore and find accelerators, any suggestions on what to do other than putting accelerator in Google? Are there any other resources that you okay. can recommend? Um, well, every industry has their own sort of like mm-hmm. database and things. I mean, you can go to like, you know, through industry um, community newsletters, like if you get on these newsletters or, um, you know, like read TechCrunch, um, read Fast Company, read, you know, uh, read industry magazines or um, subscribe to industry newsletters, find out who blogs or writes about those industries and then, you know, look at that. Second thing is to look at, um, potentially private equity or VC or LPs and see if they are um, supporting or investing or sponsoring any accelerators, right? Like a lot of them are underwritten by companies. Um, Third, look in your local areas. Like for example, no one knows there's some great um, accelerators in St. Louis who knew, (laughs) you know, like they're not all New York and Silicon Valley. So, um, but you, you may have to move. Mm Mm-hmm for a couple months. Um, right. So, but just explore, I mean, uh, some of it is word of mouth, some of it is asking, some of it is research. Um, you know, it's not a linear path. I don't this know is, one resource. <laughs> sure, no, says, but this is super helpful. So thanks, it'll at least get some people on, uh, you know, to start on, 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 the, on the, their path, sorry. So let's now talk about Lolly Beauty, my obsession. <laughs> tell me about tell me about the concept. Go go yeah. Let's let's talk about your your concept, your vision, 
the business, how, how people can find the products, et cetera. So um, the concept for Lolly really came, as I said, on this afternoon that I just happened to have a sequence of events happen. So, you know, here I had participated in bringing into the world previously in my corporate career, all these skin, hair, body, bath products, et cetera, fragrances that are not 80 to 95% water. If you mm -hmm. turn around any moisturizer, you know, shampoo, conditioner, bath and shower gel, you know, cleanser, whatever, in your makeup cabinet or beauty cabinet and look at the number one ingredient, it's mm -hmm. water. Right. Uh, that means it's mostly water. And then because you have water, you have to add preservatives and also synthetics to give it a texture and to change, you know, how do you change water into a cream, you know? And, um, and then it's overpackaged in plastic and right. shipped out into the world. And I didn't philosophically feel good about having participated in doing that. And so one afternoon, but just, you know, that was just personally. And then one afternoon I was walking in New York and I happened to buy a juice from a juice bar and take it into Sephora. And I was sipping on it, looking at the row of face oils and hair oils. And I said, why would I buy that doctor brand argan oil over that model brand when it's one ounce. This one is $68. That's 125. I don't know when it was made. I don't under, know what conditions. I don't know how fresh it is. I don't know if it was heated up to take out the fragrance so they could add in the chemical fragrance. Mm -hmm. What am I buying? And I'm buying the packaging. And then I walk from there into the filling station, which is a food concept in Chelsea market. Yeah. And it has like vats of vinegars and oils and salts. I think it sounds like you've been there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I love their concept, and it's refill, recycle, reuse, right? So they give you the glass bottles and jars, and you fill your own. And I just looked at it, Marla, and I was like, oh, my gosh, why can't we have a destination where women can choose their own food-grade organic ingredients and blend up their own beauty, you know, products themselves, or they can buy pre-made bases that they can use as is but tailor and customize mm -hmm. with like boosters the same way you do like in a juice bar. You buy, you get your juice and right. then you can buy the Echinacea or the Tomorrow mm -hmm. Shop. Or it has a custom blending. So it's sort of like a, imagine a smash up of like Lush meets a juice bar, you know, with organic <laughs> custom blending, right? Like, so that right, was right. the original concept. And then I started, you know, as I said, I, I launched a test. And the way I launched a test was – um, as the blue apron of organic beauty. So it was a surprise three month subscription box. And again, oh, that, interesting. Wasn't, that wasn't, okay, my, that's cool. That wasn't my business model, but this is a mm -hmm. great lesson in the startup world is don't get hung up on the, in creating, trying to get the perfect end idea out there. And you learn this from a lot of tech companies, right? So they never, they do like, um, you know, scrums where they'll like, they'll work really hard for two weeks and get an iteration out, but it, it's not necessarily even close to what the final iteration is ever going to be. Right. But the idea is like, you get things out, you test, you learn from that, and then you keep going. So I knew like, uh, Lolly wasn't a surprise subscription box, but it was the only way I could afford to get something out to test. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's, you know, what I did. And then I took all those learnings and where we, you know, 
sort of recalibrated and launched is we now, we're first of all the only food grade organic approach to customizing your own skin, hair, and body products. We are also the world's first zero waste organic beauty brand. So what that means is we make bases that I say are like your white t-shirts. Um, mm -hmm. They are multitaskers for skin, hair, and body. You do not need to blend if you don't want to, like the plum elixir, which I think you love. It I is love it. an awesome face and hair oil that's more powerful than argan and marula. It is an extraordinary product. And um, you don't need to blend. But if you wake up and you're like, I want some collagen boosting, I can add prickly pear in, or I want, I woke up and I have some redness and irritation, I'm gonna add some turmeric. So it allows you to personalize based on where you are that day mm -hmm. and your needs. We upcycle from food supply, so that amazing plum elixir, we work with a farm in France that um, grows an organic, very rare plum called the Ente plum. And um, when they were making prune juice and pitted plums, they were throwing away the kernel. Then they started to crush that into an edible oil. And then we tested it and found out it's more efficacious than argan and marula for skin and hair. So then we blend it into one of our bases. Right. So we're upcycling from food supply. Then we're 100% waterless. So that whole uh, dirty little secret in the beauty industry that you know the product you're buying is 80 to 95% water, well, ours isn't. We don't add any water. We're pure and potent. And if we have a liquid, it is either a juice, a ferment, like a vinegar or a hydrosol distillate. So um, then we use food grade glass containers that you can repurpose for food storage. We're the first to ever do that. And then our, we remove the secondary cartons and um, um, we use instead 100% certified compostable bags and labels. So everything is really thoughtfully done. So how do people find your products? They can go online to lollybeauty.com mm -hmm. and um, we're, we're online. We, we ship across the country. We're not shipping internationally yet, but um, in the U.S. And, um, and then we also do um, definitely tune in, um, watch us on Instagram, lolly.beauty, or um, find us on Facebook, Check maybe um, like a boss girl out because we do a lot of blending bars, um, pop-up events. Right now, New York focused, but we hope to be rolling that out. So, That's yeah. great. Yeah. So, oh my gosh, I have to go to a blending bar. We have to talk. <laughs> but we're going to co-create together. Marla's, uh, Marla's perfect. Yeah. Board. The magical elixir. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm ready. Um, so I guess a couple of final questions. One I'd like to ask people, so what do you wish you knew when you were 22? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, what do I wish I knew at 22? I wish I knew to fail fast. Mm -hmm. I, I was brought up that, you know, uh, you know, I was always the A student. I was the ballet dancer, you know, every <laughs> position had to be perfect, right? Like right. the only way you could make a pirouette is if you were perfectly balanced on your toe shoe. Mm -hmm. So I, I sort of spent a lot of time trying to be perfect um, instead of failing fast. And there is a beauty and perfection in failing. And I don't think we recognize that. 
Right. And, um, and I think the more you learn about what's not working in your life, whether it's emotionally, intellectually, professionally, physically, um, spiritually, the more you can bring in what is working. But if you're always trying to make things look like they're working, you never really get there. Mm-hmm. So this I is great that. advice. Um, any final words? I mean, I feel like my head is spinning. I've been re- taking copious notes myself. <laughs> um, I, um, I really welcome, first of all, thank you, Marla. Thank you for inviting um, me and, and our Lolly team into your Like a Boss Girl community. Um, the uh, event the other night was so special. Um, and um, what you're doing really, um, I'm such a, a supporter of because you really have the best interest of women in mind. Thank and you. you are, I can tell that that comes from a very pure and authentic place and that's meaningful to me. So any way I can be supportive to anyone in your community, I'm, I'm really you know, happy to do it. Yeah. And I hope I, we can I'm very up, grateful. I was going to say, I hope we can stir up some beautiful things together. <laughs> you, you can count on it. For sure. Um, This was super helpful. Um, We will, for those listeners, there were a lot of great pieces of advice. Um, So in addition to the recording, we'll be doing some written content with um, some of the great uh, nuggets that you that you mentioned pulled out. So I think it'll be really a lot, you know, pretty useful for people. So, um, yeah, this was an amazing experience, a fabulous conversation, Tina. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. And I really, honestly, cannot recommend enough the products from Lolly Beauty. So I really, really hope that our listeners uh, try, check it out, because they're really very special. So, um, again, I want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you for being our guest on Mind of a Mentor. Thank you. Thank you, everyone.